Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. It is baseball week, ladies and gentlemen. We are finally here. Opening day is at the end of the week. So let's just talk some fantasy baseball today. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Coming on the show, he is a fantasy maven. I brought him here. He's a first-time debut on this podcast. Matt Haley, how are you, Matt? Great. Excited to be here. Ready for some baseball. Let's talk bets. Let's talk Yelich. Let's talk Trout. Let's talk Acuna. All this stuff. And coming back, you guys know him very well, near and dear to your heart. He's the Swiss Army knife of the Believe in Betting Chicago. He can talk about it all. Mike Choi, welcome back to the pod, Mike. How are you? Joey, doing well. I, uh, I can't believe how much I miss baseball, how much I miss sports in general. So ready to do this. So, yeah, off the top, mock drafts, real live drafts flying all across the country this week. We're preparing for the 60-game MLB season. Mr. Mike Choi, you actually just did a draft this weekend with uh, some folks from CBS. Real quick, just uh, how did it go and how did it feel? How did it feel to be back in the draft room? It was it was crazy. So randomly got invited to participate in CBS's uh, final uh, head-to-head mock draft with uh, all their top analysts. So it was super intimidating, but, um, you know, I held my ground and uh, ended up coming up with a pretty good team. Uh, you know, uh, had the eighth pick in a 12-person league and, uh, yeah, started off with uh, DeGrom, which crazy that he fell to eighth, and then I feel like everything can – kind of uh, fell into place after that. So it was, it, was, it was exciting. It was super exciting. Yeah, once the juices started flowing, like, you know, once you got slapped in the face again by the pressure of fantasy competition, you were right back in it and you locked yeah. back in. Uh, Matt, I want to ask you real quick. You had a draft over the weekend. You had the top. I believe you had a number two pick in a draft. You know, Trout's kind of the obvious pick. And then after that, the door is kind of wide open for you. Who did you go with at number two? Uh, it actually went Okuna one. And I went Yelich, too. Wow. Acuna won. I mean, uh, in a 60-game season, he could be one of the only 10-10 players, uh, 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases, because this is how we're going to kind of look at it. Uh, just your, your brief thoughts real quick. You know, what kind of scared you away from Trout? Uh, just if he misses a week or two weeks, and it's, you know, it's a – Six week season for my regular season for my my uh, for my draft. So that's a third of the season, and that's your first pick. So you need to get good value with your first pick. So you're not well, going to get too much coming around. Yeah, and Yelich is going to continue to just play mostly within the NL Central. And before we start really kind of diving into all this stuff, there is a bit of a caveat. Obviously, you know this is an unprecedented situation. Uh, in this particular pod, we're going to be talking about the values that we like and we don't like. Now, clearly, you know, health provider, we hope that everyone gets through this season safely. Um, you know, there are going to be on-field injuries. That isn't that big of a surprise. But again, you know, like you're mentioning, you got to kind of sort of bake that in a little bit with Trout and his, he's going to have a newborn coming up. You know, is that a situation where he is willing to step away from the game for a couple of weeks to be able to attend to that? During, during something which we're considering, you know, this unprecedented health crisis. So it's definitely something to figure out. But we want to kind of sort of think about things as the, everyone's going to be healthy. The 60-game schedule is actually going to happen. Mike, hop in. No, that was, uh, th- that's what I wanted to mention about Trout was that, you know, obviously in any given year for like the last, what, 10 years, he's the consensus number one. But, you know, in the shortened season, right, it's like if he takes any time off for his, uh, you know, his newborn child, which rightfully he should, you know, uh, yeah, it's like 
you, you lo- if you lose a week, that's, you know, a third, a fourth of the season for a lot of people, depending on how their leagues are formatted. And that's the trade-off too, right? Is typically, you know, Trout is the number one fantasy player, but he still misses time during a 162-game season. Like, we're still kind of wondering when we're going to see that full, like, stat line from Trout where he doesn't miss those two weeks or those 20 games. And in a 60-game schedule, you kind of really have to hedge your bets here. And if you're going to have Christian Yelich's home numbers, his home splits in your number two pick right there, and for some people, you know, I like Mookie Betts a whole lot in that area too as well at the number two pick. But again, you know, he's moving to a whole new situation in a different league in a small span of time, and he could have, you know, all it's going to take in this situation is a week or two of hitting 220 or 230, and all of a sudden that'll probably knock him out of the concept of being a top five fantasy player this season. So let's sort of stay in the first round for right now. You know, there's some really, uh, there's some interesting picks. You know, typically you're going to see some pitchers in the back half of that first round. I, myself, after around pick five or six, I start targeting pitchers at that time. You know, an elite pitcher who's going to give you high strikeout totals. I mean, those are points that you just can't certainly pass up. Mike, I kind of want to throw it to you first. The, the first round, we have our ADP here that we're going off of. A lot of different sites uh, have some varying thoughts and opinions. Are there anyone in the 10 to 15 area that you're looking at and you're like, ooh, this guy could easily be a first-round value? Well, I mean, I guess I want to preface this by saying that, uh, you know, I, I'm looking this at this from a head-to-head perspective, right? Because it, depending on if you're in a roto league versus a head-to-head, it really actually does affect your drafting philosophy. Because in a head-to-head, your starting pitchers have way more value because since you're trying to win a week, you want the pitchers who give you that best chance of winning a week. And that is your elite pitchers. So in a head to head, you know, you're looking at, I mean, I mean, forget 10 to 15 range. You're looking at a guy like Garrett Cole, Jason Verlander, uh, Jacob deGrom and Matt Scherzer who are going top 10, you know, Garrett Cole is a consensus top five pick in head to head. So um, for me, it's, it's, I, I think this year, more importantly than any other year, because, you know, when you break it down, your starting pitchers are going to get approximately 12 starts in a 60-game run, right? So in that span, you really, I think, you want the cream of the crop. So even much more so the value to your elite guys. I think there's, I think there's roughly about 20 elite guys this year capping out at that, like, Air Nola um, range kind of right right around there. Maybe, maybe as a, as a, a Chicago-biased, you know, Lucas Giolito range. Um, but yeah, if you don't grab, you know, two of those guys within your first three picks, I think, I think it's a, I think it's an uphill battle. So yeah, uh, for me, for sure, first rounders, Cole, Verlander, Scherzer, uh, DeGrom. Yeah. And just keep in mind, Giolito, fourth best odds to win the Cy Young, my friend, fourth best odds. So don't count him out of that first round, Matt, hop in. Uh, I was just saying, I was going to, I even considered taking Garrett Cole number two, just because I knew the run on pitchers was going to be really hot and heavy and I was not going to get what I wanted coming back around. So yeah, uh, pitching goes fast and it seems like that's been a philosophy people have picked up in the last couple of years. Yeah, typically I've gone as high as, I think I've taken Scherzer as high as five in some years, uh, just because you're going to get the K's. In Garrett Cole's case, too, as well, with a Yankees team that hit, what, five or six home runs yesterday in one of the final spring training games. They're going to score some runs this year. And you nailed it, Mike Choi. Uh, 12 starts is probably, you know, that's probably right on the money for what you're going to get out of, a, out of a starter this season. So then maybe you're looking at, 
you know, what's it going to get done? You know, you're looking for a guy that's going to get you maybe seven, eight, nine wins, especially if you're going to be taking him in that first round. And all of a sudden, yeah, I mean, Garrett Cole's definitely the number one dude. DeGrom, I'm a little surprised that Scherzer slipped a little bit to 14. I know he didn't have a great season last year, but let's be honest, the guy can straight out put the lights out against opposing teams. He still is a guy that can still, you know, go seven or eight, nine innings, still put up some wins too as well. So I think that you're going to be able to get some value there. Some of the hitters that I'm looking at, you know, every single season, I want to talk about this guy real quick. And I want to hear your thoughts on Trey Turner. Uh, Because for some reason, Trey Turner, I mean, every single year he's in the top 10. He's one of the fastest players in the major leagues. Always there giving you stolen bases there with runs scored. But it's, it's so funny. Trey Turner is that guy that you never draft, right? Uh, he's in the top 10. You're circling him. You're kind of getting close to him. But everyone always sort of passes him over. And I'm kind of sort of curious here. Do you guys like Trey Turner? Do you guys like Trevor Story a little bit more? Or Lindor? Out of those three shortstops to start off, which ones do you kind of like the most for value for this 60-game season coming up? Uh, Matt, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd lean towards story a little bit. He's just, he's solid. He's very consistent. You know what you're going to get out of him. I'm actually kind of low on Lindor this year, but, uh, he, he can do his thing. And, uh, yeah, I would go with story just cause hitters ballpark. He's going to do his thing consistently, you know? Yeah. My only thing, yeah. Lindor's an interesting value now there's a couple things that i do like about lindor for this season because i was trying to crunch through some of these numbers and find guys that had streaks that i think that would play out quite nicely in a 60 game season and for lindor the most interesting stats for him are if you look you know he hit i think 530 he slugged 537 in the first half of last season he slugged 528 in the first half of the season before so first half hitter comes out of the gate swinging great And then he completely tails off. So like in September, he hits like 238, 213 the last two seasons. So in that, in that mode, if we're only going with the 60 games, he could have top 10 potential for sure. But again, like I'm with you on the Trevor story, right? He's going to give you those home runs. He might be able to give you those RBIs. He's a guy that can definitely get super hot and maybe playing that course angle might be the way to go this season out of those top three shortstops. Mike, who do you like the most? Well, you know, you can't go wrong with Trevor Story. Uh, exactly. Like you said, like, you know, he's playing in Coors Field. So obviously that's always an advantage. Um, I actually like Lindor this year because of the way the season breaks down. So basically 40 of your games are going to be played against your division opponents. And then basically to kind of avoid as much travel as possible, the remaining games are going to be played within your uh, regional um, uh, region. So basically like the NL Central will play against the AL Central. And so the reason I like Lindor, because relatively speaking, uh, you know, kind of in all the, in all the uh, research, it, it looks like the, the NL and AL Central have the weakest pitching overall. So that means a guy like Francisco Lindor, who's already a stud, is going to be facing, you know, to a rel- it's all relative, obviously, but a little bit less high caliber pitching. Um, another guy that, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure we're going to talk about it, but uh, I'm surprised that Javi Baez doesn't get the love he does in fantasy baseball because, and maybe that's just where, you know, we were kind of talking about this off the air yesterday, Joey, but like, you know, his impact in real baseball is probably maybe a little bit more valuable than fantasy, obviously because of what he uh, provides in the clutch, what he uh, provides defensively. 
But I still think pound for pound, Javi Baez can hit with any of these guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, if you're looking for – in my mind, he's not a sleeper. But if you're looking for a sleeper, if some of those top guys go, like Javi Baez, is, uh, I don't think is a drop-off by any means. Yeah, for some reason, Javi gets dinged a little bit harder than other guys because his OP, OBP isn't awesome. Uh, those little ancillary extra little bases, especially the when you're playing head-to-head, sure. the strikeouts definitely hurt him too for sure. But yeah, just looking it up, you know, we're on, we're looking at Fantasy Pros right now, which has all the, the ADP and all the different rankings from multiple other sites. And we've got Javi Baez here going, you know, as high as the 25th overall player and as low as the 66th overall player. And that's, that's just, that is just absolutely crazy to me. And some of the things that I'm kind of thinking about here is, you know, with Javi, Javi's another guy. I mean, for example, his first 54 games last season, had 13 home runs, 17 doubles, 32 runs scored, 34 RBIs, 303 batting average. I mean, through 54 games, if he puts up those type of numbers this season, not only is he a top, you know, fantasy option, but I mean, he's probably an MVP consideration, something along those lines. So he definitely has those type of streaks in him. I mean, Matt, I want to ask you, 25th overall or 66th overall which one is closer to the truth for you with Javi Baez or is it maybe somewhere in the middle oh it's so much closer to 25th than 66 uh yeah I mean Javi Baez he he lacks in some areas but he 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 hits for power he steals bases not the best average but a solid average he gets RBIs so he does it all in terms of the categories you need to worry about. Yeah, he also puts up, you know, monster single-day numbers, which is, I mean, I don't know if that really, you know, pans out as the long season goes along, but, man, you can look at your fantasy box score, especially in a head-to-head, and be like, holy shit, this dude just dropped me 17 right here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you, and I want to come back a little bit, just a tangent a little bit, back to your point earlier. Let's go back to that Javi Baez range of where these guys are kind of going because, Choi, I think you hit it too as well. Where there are some absolutely just quality, monster, elite players in this top 20. And it's going to be hard-pressed for a lot of fantasy owners in these first two rounds not to walk away with at least two high-quality stud players, whether they're pitcher and position player or you go two pitchers or two position players. I mean, I know – you know, one of the guys that I was biggest on so far was Anthony Rendon, who's sitting at 20th overall right now in uh, average ADP. Now he's struggling with an oblique issue. And man, oblique issues in a shortened season just, you know, terrifies the shit out of me. I mean, that's something that I just don't really, I mean, he's probably at that 20th value, but right around that area, you got Fernando Tatis, you got Jose Ramirez right there. I mean, and even Alex Bregman's technically out of the first round. I mean, that dude finished in easily the top three in MVP voting. And that guy, now let me tell you, if you're looking for a dude that can get hot for a sustained stretch of time, I mean, Alex Bregman is that guy. I mean, he can drop 35 RBIs in a month, let alone a 60 RBI season. Um, you know, Mike, I kind of want to ask you, you know, you named some pitchers off the top there, but in that second round of fantasy drafts, you know, do you like do you like some of these elite hitters right there, or do you think that if you don't get that pitcher in the first round, you got to do pitcher in the second round, or you're behind the eight ball? Well, I'm definitely. You know, I've been in a handful of drafts now for this upcoming season, and um, I, I've I've in every draft gone pitcher, pitcher, first round, second round, uh, because yeah, once you get into that third, maybe early fourth, depending on where you're drafting, 
it's slim pickings for pitchers. You don't, you know, I mean, it, and the thing is, I think this is obviously just my opinion, but I think you can find, a, like, as you were speaking about, Joey, you can find a somewhat comparable position player later on the draft that you can't do from the pitching standpoint. You know, I think third base, shortstop, first base, you know, if you look like shortstop, you know, the 10th person in uh, fantasy pros ranking is Manny Machado. So if like you end up with Manny, like that's, I mean, is he Francisco Lindor? Not necessarily, but it's like, you still have guys that are like still raking, you know, 12 deep at those positions, much less in the outfield. So, um, but I mean, I think my main point for this season in particular is, you know, go by the rankings. Obviously that should be your blueprint. That should be kind of like how you should kind of value your players. But I think this season more than ever anything can happen in 60 games any player can get hot for a 30 40 game stretch so I think more so than anything this is the year to experiment maybe this is the year to really go with your favorite players given that they're kind of in that range of where they should fall but more so than ever like yeah draft who you love because anything can happen in 60 games yeah especially when you've got a guy like Gliber Torres you know 28th overall I mean, and that guy could easily be, you know, top 10 numbers. I mean, there's a lot of dudes that can easily jump into that elite category. Matt, I kind of want to ask you a general question. When you're putting together your fantasy roster, you know, how do you typically like to go about your business? Now, you talked about taking Yelich at number two. But let's just say maybe you're a little bit further down in the draft order. You know, are you a guy that likes to go pitcher first? Do you like going pitcher, pitcher? Do you like doing position player? Like what are, or maybe is there a position that you like to wait on the longest? Uh, I'm with Choi. I go pitcher, pitcher as often as I can. Uh, as I said, I even considered taking Garrett Cole number two because pitching can be so valuable. But uh, can I hit on uh, just like depth at shortstop? Like, oh, God, uh, it's, it's loaded. Yeah, it's like Jorge Polanco uh, batted 295 last year, had 22 home runs, 80 RBIs, like over 100 runs scored. And he's got to be like the 20th ranked shortstop. So. <laughs> he's 21 you're right yeah so you you can wait you can wait on shortstop whereas pitching is uh it gets it gets thin pretty quick yeah the pitching i mean yeah then you start kind of getting around to being like well time to take dallas keichel uh (laughs) like let's let's rock and roll here and that's a bit of what uh yeah definitely like i think and, and first base also, as I, I think it has some depth, but I think that there's some significant drop-off at first base where, you know, you've got some of these guys here that are going to be tried and true to sluggers, like, you know, driving in runs left and right. But if you kind of sort of look, even in the ADP section, you got Cody Bellinger, Freddie Freeman, Pete Alonso, and then there's quite a significant dip there where, you know, Pete Alonso's ADP is about 25 right now. Rizzo's, Anthony Rizzo's goes to 58. So, you know, not saying that Rizzo can't, I mean, it would be hard pressed to probably out fantasy Pete Alonzo, but there's quite a little dip there to a different tier. And yes, you could get some guys at first base too as well, but you know, maybe you'd be more of a position to try and lock down that first base position, waiting on shortstop and then continuing to try and build your roster through there. And again, I, I'm always of the adage too, as well as like, you can always get outfielders. Uh, outfielders exactly. probably the one thing that I probably wait on the most. Um, and, you know, because I would rather take a catcher and feel good about a catcher than probably worry about my outfield depth because you could always probably grab somebody there. So let's sort of talk about some value picks right now. We mentioned Jorge Polanco at shortstop. Let's sort of stay in the shortstop category for just a quick second. 
Mike, I want to ask you a question about shortstop. Are there any value picks um, on this list right now that you're kind of looking at and that you kind of like someone further down the trough that could perhaps get you value that would be just as good as a top 10? Well, you know, I mean, we kind of uh, spoke about it before, but um, for me, I'm looking at guys who are coming off uh, or on teams that are, are, are like the top-ranked offenses, right? So you're looking at the Dodgers, you're looking at the Twins, uh, Astros, Yankees, A's, Mets, White Sox, Cubs, Boston, Angels. Those are kind of the consensus top 10 offenses. So a guy like, uh, I think we mentioned him before, but Jorge Polanco, who's potentially batting leadoff for the Twins, I mean, that, that's a great pick because especially, I think, with this abbreviated season, I think uh, regardless of the position, you want guys who are batting at the top of the lineup because they're going to get you more bats in that 60-game stretch. So anybody that's going to get you, uh, you know, on average uh, against the field, another 10 bats, another 10 to 20 bats, that's value right there. So, you know, Polanco at shortstop for the Twins who, you know, on a top offense, hitting at the top of the order potentially – I mean, that, that's a guy that you can, you know, you can probably get him in like eighth plus round. So if you want to wait on, you know, a sleeper like Jorge Blanco, I think, uh, I think that's your value pick right there, at least for me it is. Yeah, one of the guys that I'm taking a look at, and maybe not a great value for overall fantasy, but, it, you know, it looks like shortstops are going to be flying off the boards this year. So you are going to have to make some decisions at one point. I do like the value on um, uh, Kettle Marte who had his season last year kind of cut short by injury. But, man, I like a guy that if he can play, if he gives you the second base shortstop and outfield, that kind of versatility with your lineup will be a huge thing. And plus, that second base, too, because second base is one of the more thinner, in my opinion, probably depth positions that are out there. I do like the value with him a lot. I kind of want to – one of the ones that I'm sort of curious about is – you know, there's this really interesting. I got Fernando Tatis, Glaber Torres, Javi Baez, and Xander Bogarts. They got Tatis ahead of those three guys, and even Marte. Um, whoever wants to hop in, go ahead. But is that a little too rich for Tatis? I mean, he, he he's got all the talent in the world, but did he really prove it last year to jump ahead of a Xander Bogarts, a Javi Baez, a Glaber Torres? Um, you know, Matt, hop in. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm selling on Tatis. If you look at any advanced metrics, uh, they'll tell you he's going to regress quite considerably. I mean, obviously, advanced metrics aren't a proven commodity, but uh, his 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 BABIP last year was point four one or like four ten, so which is basically league average <laughs> that, is around three hundred. That's like the I luckiest. Believe. Yeah, it's one of the luckiest seasons known to man. Uh, that's the Tim Anderson special right there. That's a high bat bip. Yeah, I agree with Tim Anderson too. He's. I think that Tatis and Tim Anderson are both going to have serious regressions this season. Yeah, Mike, hop in. It's funny that you guys uh, just mentioned Anderson because I was I was going to say I, I would be remiss to not mention Tim Anderson as a potential sleeper. Um, you know, he's definitely going to have some regression because although he led the league in uh, average, that was a 90 plus point increase from 2018. So it's kind of like, is he more 2019 or is he more 2018? Uh, I hope somewhere in between. But again, um, you know, when you want to talk about value, here's a guy who is probably going to be batting leadoff, if not at the top of the order for the White Sox, who are a much improved offensive team. I mean, I would put that lineup against any lineup in baseball you know, if they're all healthy. They look pretty um, good last night. Yeah. And so it's like, for me, Tim Anderson across the board doesn't get drafted until like the 14th round and later. So if you're saying you can get a starting shortstop on a top offensive team who bats at the top of the order with basically one of your last picks, 
mean, again, uh, in terms of value, yeah, definitely the regression is going to be there. But for the value, I mean, you can't beat that value. Yeah, I so, think. Uh, oh, go go for it, Matt. Hop in. So, sorry, sorry. Uh, so true. I, I on a regular season, there's got to be eight guys on the White Sox who could hit 20 home runs, and Tim Anderson is going to be batting before all of those guys. So he does have a ton of opportunity to produce in in categories. Yeah, I agree with all all you guys are saying. I I guess it's sort of I'm skeptical on the fantasy value though, right? Where if he's at the top of the lineup, and let's just pretend he hits. 285 right if you're on the white Sox and you're a white Sox fan you were completely a thousand percent happy with that but again from a fantasy perspective that's a 50 point batting average dip from the season previous so i i mean they only they have them as the 16th shortstop in mlb so i mean the value is probably appropriate the guy that i'm looking at that is right above him that really interests me is i would probably take carlos correa over tim anderson and they've got him right around sort of that same area the big knock on carlos correa is that he cannot finish the season. Well, guess what? He doesn't have a long season that he's got to finish in general, right? Like, it's only 60 games. You know, in terms of batting average, I think he can definitely get to that 280, 290 mark. But what I like about Carlos Correa is they hit him in the middle of the lineup, so you're going to be getting doubles. Hopefully, maybe you can get seven, eight, nine home runs, and maybe you can get 25-plus RBIs from him. If you're looking at that kind of value, I'm sort of maybe targeting him um, oh, maybe a little bit more than a Tim Anderson you know, they got uh, Corey Seager around there. I don't really know how I feel that. And then even further down, they got our boy Polanco. So there's a lot of options in that area to fulfill your, uh, fulfill your roster that way. Go ahead, Mike. Well, I got a question for you guys. How are you guys, because you kind of uh, brought up the point just prior, Joey, how are you guys um, considering injury-prone players? Because, Joey, to, your, uh, to what you just said, there's less games to get injured. So you can look at it from that perspective. The perspective I kind of had was avoiding guys who are injury prone, like an Aaron Judge, like a Giancarlo Stanton, because if they do get hurt, like their tracker shows, obviously then there's less games that uh, in the course of a season for them to then come back and produce. So, yeah, I guess uh, what are your guys' philosophies on a guy who is considered, quote unquote, injury prone in terms of this 60 game season? Well, my first thought is, obviously, dudes that continuously get hurt year after year after year, you have to pay attention to it. That's a whole part of the fantasy strategy, right? My thing, though, is, you know, let's just take a guy like Wilson Contreras, first of all. You know, top five catching, uh, top five catcher in fantasy baseball, you know, relatively healthy guy. But every single August, the dude pops his hamstring and misses four or five weeks. This has been going on for years and years now. A guy like that, I'm actually probably feeling a little bit safer about. I mean, this is going to sound kind of old school and maybe cliche, but I'm looking at straight up just age at this point. You know, for a guy, you know, I look at a guy like John Lester in previous years, continues to see a regression in his fantasy value, but I would still pick him up in the later rounds because I think I would get some quality starts from him. Some of the older guys that need longer to get their innings and get their, their bearings, I think might struggle out of the gate a little bit more than some other players right now. Now, younger players might, might not perform well just because they're not, you know, performing well but some of these older guys might have some trouble of turning it up a little bit too fast and ending up on the IL like you know Clayton Kershaw's value right now it continues to regress and I think there's a reason for that is that even in the 60 game schedule I think he could possibly miss some time with a couple of tweaks because he's just not on his normal routine hop in Matt uh, I was thinking, speaking of old pitchers like John Lester, one, of, one, one person I targeted in every draft was uh, Rich Hill. He's been going, you know, he's like 260. Uh, his average draft is like 266 or something. 
if when Rich Hill is on the mound, if he's actually pitching, he he has a sub three ERA and like you know since 2015, uh, 11 Ks per nine, a one WHIP. Uh, so if you can get somebody like Rich Hill in the 20th round or whatever, uh, he could provide a lot of value because it's a shortened season. He doesn't have to stay out there the whole time. You know? Well, and that's the, that's the double-edged sword. You're, yeah, you're nailing it, right? Like, you know, Rich Hill's going to have his case per nine. It's probably going to be over nine. That's a decent value pick. And some of these guys like a Rich Hill can give you that hot streak and perform and actually put together a really nice season and not have to, you know, have that 162-game season reveal all the warts in in his in his game you know like and that's what you know i'm looking at guys like if we're gonna we're not going down to that low of a level yet but an example like a tyler chatwood who i don't really think is a great pitcher on the cubs but a guy that could put together a stretch that'll look pretty good on a baseball card next year it might help him get a new contract you know what i mean this is definitely something that can happen in a 60 game stretch go ahead mike yeah i I think actually uh conversely yeah like uh, uh being an older player you don't get dinged as much in this short season because, you know, the, the case has always been like if it's an older player, you give him a little more rest or maybe he breaks down a little bit more towards the end of the season, but you don't have that because it's a sprint to the finish line. So a guy like, you know, for the Sox, you know, at the age like Edwin Encarnacion, you know, he's not going to have or need as many rest days and he's just going to be able to hit more in that lineup despite his age. And uh, yeah, exactly. That Rich Hill, that's a, that's a perfect, perfect example of a guy who could really benefit from this abbreviated season. And I'm also kind of interested, the old guys, like I mentioned, the guys that might not be able to get off on the right foot to start their season or get injured. Also at the same time, this is what makes this season so interesting, fascinating, and unpredictable is they could also go full like Chet Stedman, right? Like, or Lester's just like, give me one more start. You know what I mean? Give me one more great ride. And this is when he just kind of cuts it loose, right? And lets his shoulder go because he's not playing anymore. You know, that's definitely a scenario for a lot of these guys too as well. So really tough to say figuring out the injuries right now. I think like the worst part about this from a fantasy perspective is I think once we get the games going, I think we're going to see some, some obliques and some backs and some tight hamstrings and stuff within the first 10 days which means fantasy owners are going to have to kind of scramble and maneuver a little bit. And hopefully those injuries don't last too long where they kill your roster. But I think we might see, you know, an interesting little rash of bumps and bruises in this first little span of games here. And then maybe it'll be a little bit more of a survival of the fittest as we go along. Go ahead, Mike. Well, this is also where, uh, you know, maybe more so than ever your middle uh, relief guys might really be fantasy contributors. Cause as you talked about, you know, I think a lot the biggest dark horse is how teams are going to be handling their pitching staff this year. You know, there's been some talk of teams implementing a six man rotation, you know, definitely, as you mentioned, Joey, you know, with this, what, 10 game preseason or 10 day, like preseason stretch where like your starting pitchers haven't really been able to stretch out. So, you know, especially those first, you would think two to three starts as in any baseball season, much less this one, you know, your starters are maybe going to go five deep. Maybe, you know, there might be a handful of guys that go six deep. But over, you know, over the course of time, I think, you know, your middle relief guys might actually be solid contributors, especially those guys who also can give you that spot start um, in, the, in the rotation, being that sixth guy, depending on, you know, uh, you know what, how teams want to implement their starters. But, yeah, I think middle relief guys might actually have a lot of value this year. Ross Stripling, you are going into my queue right now on the waiver wire, and I'm picking you up as we speak. 
Uh, we're going to get into a lot more stuff. We're going to look at some more positions. Let's talk Cubs and White Sox in a second and our favorite values, underrated and overrated for the season coming right up. But first, let's take a break. Let's hear from our sponsor, and it's Simply Safe. And Simply Safe just wants to ask you one question. What is the number one sign of a bad home security system? It's a home security system that's so complicated you never use it. And that's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your home 24/7. So you order online, then you open the box, then you place the sensors, you plug it in and your home is protected around the clock. It is simply that simple. So head to simplysafe.com/team and then you get free shipping and a 60-day money back guarantee. That's right if you go to simplysafe.com/team, 60-day money back guarantee right now plus free shipping. It feels good to fear less. Back to the fantasy baseball preview right here on Believe in Betting Chicago. So, oh, Mike, hop in, man. Hop, hop oh, right well, in. You need some more deals on Simply Safe? Tell me. <laughs> well, I had a question, general question for you guys before we kind of get back into the nuts and bolts. But uh, for both you and Matt, like, how do you think the lack of a crowd is going to affect players this year? Because um, I have one of two thoughts. I could, you could kind of see it like, well, the guys who really thrive on that energy you know, they might, you know, regress a little bit. But then also you can look at it like the guys who, you know, whether it's kind of rookies or second-year players who really haven't gotten used to being in that spotlight of playing in front of like 30,000, maybe those guys really thrive in that scenario. So I'm just wondering how you guys think, uh, uh, yeah, the lack of a crowd, where like it's crazy that like they're using MLB The Show's baseball sounds to pump into the into the stadiums which is crazy that a video game is is, is doing that for real life baseball but yeah just curious what your guys thoughts yeah, are i i've got a couple of cockamamie thoughts about it uh that you know are just sort of my instincts and my feelings on the whole situation and from a fantasy perspective i am incredibly interested to see how this all bears out and let's just like let's just stick to the cubs for right now you know you got javi Baez, a dude that absolutely rakes at home right i mean he is that's why the Cubs fans love him so much is because whenever you buy a ticket to go to Wrigley Field, the dude's going to come out and perform. You know, are those numbers going to reflect that exact same now because there aren't, you know, 35, 40,000 fans in the stands? I have no idea. Conversely, a dude like you, Darvish, right, who is so slow and methodical, thinks, analyzes every single pitch, now doesn't have any sort of sense of distraction other than just that tunnel vision that he uses to perform. You know, he's a guy that could possibly go up. And, you know, honestly, are the – I mean, they're going to juice the shit out of the baseballs. I mean, I think we all can probably agree that, right? But you would have to think when there aren't 40,000 fans in the stands, you know, maybe the ball travels, you know, five feet less because you just aren't – you just don't have that juice, that rush, that adrenaline of everybody watching you and the fact that you connect with the baseball and you hear the roar of the crowd right away. I mean, I don't know. These are stuff that I think about in my dreams. Maybe they don't apply to professional athletes, but – you're onto something, and I'm, I'm not really sure that there is an answer, but there are definitely some pathways that I could see no fans definitely having effect on the game. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, um, you know, there's a joke in Chicago that the White Sox will be right at home playing without <laughs> any fans. I know. And, uh, you know, so it'll be it, interesting. It, uh, real quick, it feels like I'm always watching an Oakland A's game. Honestly, dude, when they're hitting the balls into the empty upper deck, I'm just like, oh, it's the A's. You know what I mean? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, you know, there it'll be, yeah, interesting to see teams like the Cubs and the Red Sox and the Yankees, teams that are used to playing in front of packed houses, if there's any difference in their home road splits. But uh, the thing I'm most excited to see is Max Scherzer 
stalking around while pitching in an empty stadium and just barking to himself. Like, I, I hope he can get some audio on, on him during his starts. Yeah, and how does the whole bat flipping thing work? Uh, because, you know, let the kids play. They're just trying to entertain the crowd. Well, there is no crowd. Uh, what, do we, what do we do exactly with that? And I'm also very curious to see all the little, uh, you know, little subtle things and, uh, that teams would try and get away with, maybe verbally or non-verbally. I mean, there's going to be more of an attention paid on that right now. I mean, we don't have to get into the whole Astros thing, but yeah, if they were say, banging, bang they're banging on trash cans. Yeah, banging on trash cans with no fans in the audience. Uh, it's going to be pretty obvious. Um, I don't know, Mike. What do you think? How, how do you think this is all going to kind of play out with no fans? Just from a well, a, 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 a a talent or a production value on the field. Well, back to Tim Anderson. He's still flipping bats when he's hitting home runs in inner squad games. So he'll he'll be flipping his bats for sure on any home runs. Um, and, and we, and, and just real quick, I know we don't have to touch on it long, but since you mentioned the Astros, is there a luckier team in all of sports right now that, uh, that COVID-19 actually probably positively affected them? Uh, pardon the pun, but, um, it's like, yeah, like they were going to go through hell this season, rightfully so. And the fact that they now, other than just the opposing teams, don't have to hear it from opposing fans, maybe even their own fans. I mean, Oh my God, they got so off the hook. Um, but yeah, yeah. To your question, Joey, I think uh, I, I think the biggest maybe um, influence of no fans are games where it gets lopsided pretty early. Because I would feel like, especially for home teams, right? Like if it's lopsided pretty early, uh, if you have a pretty strong fan base, they, you know they'll they'll kind of give you that little added motivation to kind of get back into the ball game. And obviously, this is all speculation, but I feel like without these fans other than just relying on them being professional athletes uh, and just being professionals in general, like I think you maybe lose a little bit of that push to get back into a ball game. If let's say come like the third, fourth inning, you're down seven, one. Um, so I think, I think to me, that's where you'll maybe notice a little bit of the drop off in production is games that get lopsided early. Well, and I'll go the other way with you. What about bottom of the eighth, home teams down three to one a guy just threw a gem and the bullpen opens up and the guy gives up you know two base hits in a row and it's first and second home teams up down by two middle of the order coming up and then the guy the pitcher pushes the count to 2-0 right I mean typically that's when the home crowd really starts to get on the opposing pitcher. That's when the strike zone begins to shrink just a tiny bit that's when he throws the pitch on the corner and everyone kind of like waits with bated breath to see if it's a strike. And then the ump says nothing and it's a ball and everyone goes nuts and the pitcher starts losing his shit and the pitching coach comes out. And like, you know, that's when the actual like home field advantage actually matters. Like what is that exactly going to look that's like? Point. Right. It's just going to be more of just a ho-hum, uh, get the ball, throw the ball to the next pitch. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's a lot of different scenarios that you could look at and, I think fans in baseball in particular matter, you know, just as much. I mean, you know, basketball deals with this issue, right, of, you know, the fans are so close to you, right? So they're going to feel that probably no matter what. In terms of actual fan influence on the game, maybe quite not as much as, you know, a football or a baseball. In football, obviously, a, a crowd could be so loud that you can't hear the cadence to be able to spike the baseball. And uh, but, uh, I'm sorry, uh, to hike the football. And in baseball, you've got this all these different situations where, you know, the crowd really starts to get into it. You can kind of squeeze the pitcher a little bit. You can kind of get a guy out of a game. So 
it's going to be really interesting to see. And yeah, I'm with you on the Scherzer thing too. Like, is he going to be pumping 98 and breathing fire like a dragon? Um, you know, when there's no fans in the stands, you would like to think that it's true, but what if it's just two or 3% less? And that's really all it kind of takes, right? Um, for some of these guys. And I think it'll be really interesting. Let's, uh, let's kind of pivot a little bit and let's get into a little bit more of these categories. Um, why don't we go to, let's start with an easy one real quick. Let's go to the catching category. Um, a catching category near and dear to all of our hearts typically is a category that we all hate um, because it's just really difficult. You're kind of put in a position where you have to jump up earlier than you would like to to grab a guy. Because if you wait too long and you go to the cupboard, there'll be no, there'll be no more cookies in the jar all of a sudden. So let's just go. I want to hear you guys' thoughts on values that you like. Maybe a, a player that you think is a little overvalued. And uh, we'll kind of start there. Uh, Matt, I want to hear from you first. Uh, what, what catcher do you like on this board right now, value-wise? Uh, I'm always a big fan of Wilson Contreras. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, if he can stay healthy for a whole season without pulling his hamstring down the stretch, he produces with just about anybody. I mean, obviously, Real Muto's kind of on a different level. But, uh, you know, in terms of value, I, I think that Contreras is kind of who I've been targeting. Yeah, we've got, uh, in terms of ADP right now, we've got Mitch Garver at 114.8, Wilson Contreras at 115. Uh, Troy, I mean, between those two guys, pretty simple decision. It's Contreras, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, for me, uh, and this is kind of went with my philosophy that I mentioned earlier about this, you're kind of just really going after the guys uh, that you like or targeting the guys that you like. So in this case, Sox and um, Cubs players. Uh, so that, for me, I'd really been targeting Yasmani Grandal. Um, I think, you know, he's consensus top five catcher. And, and very similar to, like, football, I think your catchers are very much your tight ends uh, in football. Like, if you don't grab those, uh, one of those top five-ish guys, you're going to be playing waiver wire for the, you know, the rest of the season. So, um, yeah, I, I like Grandal, uh, you know, because, yeah, yeah, you're looking at Real Muto, uh, Gary Sanchez, uh, Grandal. But uh, a guy that um, I think is a good target probably maybe a little bit later who, again, you know, I'm talking about guys who are playing for top offenses or at least those that are projected to be top offenses in baseball this season. Um, a guy like Will Smith, who's catching for uh, the Dodgers. I think that's great value. Um, yeah, because you can get a catcher like Will Smith, uh, you know, 10th round or later. And, you know, he you know, could jump into that top five with that offense. Um, and then another guy, uh, again, a guy who's uh, hitting in a great offense uh, is Mitch Garver, if you kind of want to wait a little bit. I think that guy for uh, the Twins uh, really could uh, provide some value. And uh, is, he's kind of ascending as well. Like, you know, he's kind of had a couple of great years under the radar playing in Minnesota. And, and, uh, but, yeah, if you look at his numbers, you know, they're, they're uh, top ten numbers every year for like the last couple of years now. Yeah, I like the Will Smith a lot in terms of value. Um, I'm a little intrigued by, I mean, again, it's further down the trough. And if you're drafting at that point, I mean, you're kind of just hoping to get what you can get. But Carson Kelly on Arizona is a dude that they're not going to be giving him a full-time shot. You know, they liked him a lot coming out of the, uh, the St. Louis organization to be able to handle the bat. We'll see if, you know, if he can provide some doubles and maybe hit you 260, 270 at the catching position. You know, what more can you really ask for? A dude that I'm not really totally sold on is Gary Sanchez. And look, I get it. I get the home runs. I get him hitting in Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, but I mean, his splits are absolutely insane. Where at home, you know, he slugged 627 on the road. 
you know, he's slugging only 436. And I don't know, the guy just feels so streaky to me that, you know, in this 60-game capsule of a schedule, you are now banking on him to, A, maintain consistency, and, B, maintain health. Two things that he has struggled with, I think, for the better part of most of his career. And at number two at that spot, I agree with you guys. You know, JT Real Muto is the, I think, probably the consensus number one among that position. But if you put me down with any of the other catchers at my at my disposal, I'm probably taking the Grandal. I'm probably taking the Contreras. And I don't know. I had Mitch Garver last year. He was a real he was a real fantasy waiver darling for me when I picked him up off the lap and started smacking home runs. I don't know if I would bite over Gary Sanchez necessarily at that point, but I would have to think about it. I don't like Gary Sanchez that much as just as a number two catching prospect in fantasy. I'm, I'm a little bit turned off by that. What do you think, Matt? Uh, well, I actually forgot to draft a catcher in my last draft. Oh boy. Oh boy. So I got, I got a, I got a waiver wire claim out there for Carson Kelly. So hopefully he can be my waiver wire, darling. There uh, you go. Yeah. I also, I'm not, I'm not very high on Gary Sanchez, but, uh, you know, Choi, Choi does have a point with being in that uh, Yankees offense could provide, you know, he, he can provide some numbers. So, yeah, but I think I think I'd go Grandel or Contreras over Sanchez. Uh, but that might be my Chicago bias showing. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that, sir. Not a damn thing. I mean, Grandal's got the OBP. I think that's a bit of what we're kind of leaning on with the Grandal. And, you know, Contreras – What's just really nice about the Contreras is, you know, he hits for average and he hits for power. I mean, those are two things that no, not a lot of catchers do, period. Not a lot of catchers do just one of those things. And he always seems to be a guy who always sorts of slip and drafts. I can always get him in a round that I'm comfortable with. Like JT Romuto, you always have to kind of get him in a round when maybe you could be taking your closer or one of your two best outfielders and you got to go catcher at that point. Contreras is at least in a place where I feel a little bit more comfortable drafting the catcher. Go ahead, Mike. You know, and I, I got Grandal as I spoke before, but the one concern I have about Grandal is that where, whereas when he was in Milwaukee, he had some position flexibility, he is not going to have that with the Sox. He's not going to be playing first base. You know, obviously you have Abreu there. He's not going to be uh, playing at DH. We got in Carson, in Carson. I can't ever say that guy's name. Edwin. We have Edwin at DH for the Sox. So it's like, you know, um, outside of, you know, some random, maybe one or two starts at first, maybe one or two starts at DH. He's going to have to be play exclusively a catcher to get that full value, which, you know, they, he, you know, he, he played a lot of different positions when he was in Milwaukee. So that's the only thing I'm concerned about is, uh, is if he's going to do all 60 games. Well, obviously he won't do 60, but near capacity a catcher for the Sox. Let's call him Edwin Encarnitas, the sweet <laughs> pulled tender pork. Of, Can't get of that a, name out. I, I really enjoyed watching him yesterday. Um, they had their spring training uniforms on and it looked a little snug. It looked a little snug on our man, Edwin, there. I don't know if he needs to go up to the large or maybe not throw the shirts in the dryer before he puts them on. But, uh, I mean, uh, the dude just hit an absolute laser down the, down the line and drove in a run. That's what that dude does. But, yeah, I, I can't wait. He's got, like, that DH body. He's got that, like, late 30s DH body, and I can't really wait to, really wait to watch, uh, watch him do that. Let's, uh, let's hop over real quick, and then I want to hear some Cubs and Sox picks. And then um, – we're going to kind of sort of wrap up a little bit, but let's talk about the relief pitchers. You know, a lot of interesting situations, and I kind of want to start by, uh, as you guys are pulling them up, I want to hear about a little bit about your philosophies. You know, how do you balance out your roster, especially in a head-to-head? -head? Do you like to overload with starting pitchers 
and just try and have at least one guy starting per day. Do you like to, me personally, I like to do a little bit more of a 50-50 and it isn't necessarily have to be a guy that's only picking up saves. I like dudes that, you know, are getting appearances two to three times a week. Guys that you know are going to be giving you a couple innings because sometimes with those head-to-heads, you are going to get capped on how many starts you're allowed to put out there per week. And let's just kind of start here. I mean, Josh Hader, you know, what can be said that already can't be, you know, the dude is absolutely amazing. And the numbers are slowly not quite, like, I don't know if we're going to get the elite Josh Hader that we saw two seasons ago, but the numbers are still pretty, pretty damn good. How do you feel about him? overdrafting maybe one of the top closers or maybe even a number two, number three starter somewhere. I mean, how do you guys feel about that just in terms of fantasy strategy? Mike, you'll go first. Well, I think this year more than ever, you want to target those elite uh, closers earlier than you would. Typically, you know, I would wait to maybe seventh-ish round to see kind of some of those guys going. Uh, but you might argue you want to go a little bit earlier because, again, you know, similar to the catcher, you have about – five to eight elite elite guys that you know they're the closer they're not going to lose the job if they blow one save much less are involved in a committee closing situation so um yeah i mean you know after a guy like hater you know then you kind of have some unknowns i know like that liam Hendricks from oakland you know is kind of considered pretty high people are huge on kirby yates this yeah kirby yates you know there's these guys you know uh that are like kind of like "Eh, i don't know you know i I think you can find some values though because you know you have Craig Kimbrell, who, if he regains even, you know, what, 60% of his elite form, he's going he's gonna to rock it into, you know, that top tier as well. But I think a lot of it ultimately comes down to your format because the leagues that I'm in, uh, you are either only a relief pitcher or a starting pitcher. You don't have any of that dual eligibility. Um, I know some <coughs> leagues like Carlos, Carlos Carrasco from the Indians has both. So a guy like that who basically you can slot a starter caliber uh, a starter into your relief spot i mean so a lot of it depends on your format but if we're talking strictly from guys who are traditional closers i think this year more than ever you want those guys who you know in the short span is going is going to be the unquestioned closer for your team yeah oh go ahead matt uh just gonna say i i totally agree this year more than ever i think the the closer position has a lot more value but uh to touch on choice uh, point about uh, slash uh, being a starting pitcher slash relief pitcher. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is pick up those guys and just throw seven starters at people and uh, That's just the best. <laughs> give, give away the save category. Yeah, yeah. So wait, real quick, I, I was going to ask you originally, Matt, uh, what did you end up doing with your team? Did you go heavy starting pitcher, it looks like, and maybe one or two closers or none at all? Or what did you end up doing? Um, I actually, I got, uh, Osuna and, uh, Kalame. So I, oh. I like, uh, 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 it, it depends what Osuna does to start the season. If he's going to be there, the but, exact same thing, uh, but I, I was <laughs> nice. like, I was, ex- I was, ex- I'm pretty excited with my closer position. Uh, right on. I mean, and here's my thing and here's the part I haven't done my drafts yet, but it's kind of something I've, I've been, it's been scratching at my brain for a couple of days. You know, what's, what is really going to be the difference with these closers in this 60-game schedule, right? Where, you know, you take a guy like Kirby Yates who had 41 saves last year, and you're like, well, the dude, uh, dude X, you know, 20 spots down only got 25 saves. Well, guess what? Like, that disparity is going to be so much smaller this season. So are you telling me that Kirby Yates on the Padres is just going to come out and save 
20 of their what you know 25 to 32 wins that they're going to have this season that seems unrealistic I think you're going to see a lot more of guys in that maybe 10 to 14 save range but it's going to be super close no one's going to blow anyone out of the water in the save category go ahead Mike Joey the only reason I want to dispute that is um, this is how much of a nerd I am. I last night did the research last year of where everybody fell or wh- who were the league leaders after 60 games. So speaking of Kirby Yates, he, after 60, had 22 saves oh last year. Oh, my God. Shut my mouth. crazy. Shut my mouth. To give you, give you some other reference points, um, wins, there were three guys who had nine after, um, after, uh, after 60 games. Yeah, what strikeouts. Was, do you know what the home runs was by any chance? Yeah, so home runs, Yelich had 22 yeah. uh, after 60. Um, you know, if you want to talk about strikeouts, Scherzer had 117 after 60. Uh, Ryu led the league uh, with ERA at 1.35 after 60. And I think Bellinger um, had 54 RBIs after yeah, 60 uh, yeah, last exactly. year. Yeah, exactly. Bellinger had 54. And then uh, speaking of our good old hometown guys, Javi Baez. 79 strikeouts after 60 games. So I mean, wow. he's near a hundred after a, a third of the season. It's crazy. Crazy. Yeah. So let's just, let's just play a fun game real quick. How many, you know, let's just go one at a time. How many home runs do you think it's going to take to win the home run crown this year? Matt, just off the top of your head, is it going to be 20 or is, is there a number maybe right, was, right around there? I'll put the over under at 18 and a half. Yeah, 18 and a half, and I would say maybe one person might get over. Maybe just one, but other than that, probably not. Mike, over under 49 and a half RBIs as uh, RBI, uh, RBI champ. Um, well, again, if we're going based off of last year, uh, if Bellinger had 54, and, you know, Bellinger was elite last year, um, I'm going to go under that. I'm going to go under that because, uh, yeah. again, like, you know, just this, just this – you know, they had 10 games to get more. Although I will say Bellinger did hit a grand slam yesterday in his first uh, quote-unquote yeah, preseason No, game, he, so. he looked pretty good. Yeah, in, in yeah. Bellinger's first 54 games last year, he was hitting 379 with 54 mm-hmm. RBIs. So, I mean, uh, that, that'll take, that'd take the cake right there. Matt, hop back in. Uh, do you think with the, you know, bats usually start a little slower when it's cold out? Do you think possibly we're in the middle of the summer, balls might be flying out of the park a little bit more? So not sure that first, third stats are necessarily applicable, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's the hardest thing to figure out, right, is, yeah, the people, the guys that start slow, the – I keep bringing him up, and I know it's a fancy pod, but it's it's irrelevant. But John Lester, again, he's like, I need 100 innings before I feel like that I'm actually into the season, quote-unquote. And, yeah, that's been the hardest part is looking at some of these guys now. A lot of these elite dudes – their splits in July and August are just like out of this world, right? I think Alex Bregman drove in like 36 runs last August and hit 13 home runs in one month, right? But to your point, Matt, are these guys going to come out of the gate, you know, as sharp as they would in the midseason form of the summer, or is it going to kind of take a second? And then my question too is I was kind of looking into the, uh, thinking about this the other day with the Cubs uh, preview pod I did was this interest squad thing is very interesting to me where let's just stick with the Cubs for a second, where they've only been seeing each other, right? They've been facing their own pitching. Now, just look at the particular makeup of the Cubs roster. You know, they don't have a lot of guys that throw 97, 98 miles an hour. What, they've got Wick, they've got Darvish, maybe Kimbrell on a good day. 
you know, I saw Rex Brothers touch 95, 96 yesterday on the gun, but they don't see a lot of hard heat on that team because this is not the makeup of their roster. Is that going to hurt the Cubs offense playing other teams now? You know, does that necessarily help them when Josh Hader comes into the seventh or eighth inning of games? And I'm very curious to see how that's going to affect other teams when they're only seeing each other's pitching and maybe not more of a variety. Mike, do you think that'll have a difference or do you think, you know, am, am I overthinking this a little bit or could that actually affect some teams if they're not really, if they're only seeing their own, the own makeup of their own team? You know, I think that's a great question. Um, for me, I don't think so. Cause I think, you know, throughout baseball history, you know, any hitter, any major league hitter can hit that fastball, right? If it's just, Hey, if, if we're just talking about pure miles per hour, Give me any major league hitter, he's going to hit that fastball. I don't care who it is. Obviously, it's, it's, it's the type of pitches. It's the quality of pitches. It's the, you know, mixing that in with breaking balls and so forth. So, I don't know. I, I would almost, you know, if you, if you really want to talk about, you know, pure power versus finesse, I mean, you know, a guy like Kyle Hendricks, right? Like, you know, is kind of like a modern-day Greg Maddox or a Greg Maddox light. Uh, you know, I think it may be more valuable to hit against a guy like that who knows exactly – what he's doing as a pitcher and not as a thrower. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think not having to face uh, uh, or not being able to face guys on your team who have just that elite, you know, 95 plus mile fastball. I, I, to me, I think that's uh, not as important to see as a guy who's just got a full repertoire of pitches. We're going to, uh, we're going to talk. I want to talk some Cubs and White Sox just the values that we like and we don't like on that team in just one second, but uh, real quick, we'll pull up the overall ADP. I want to ask you guys a quick question here. I want you guys to give me the most overrated player in this top 40 that we have here uh, in regards to average ADP. A guy who that you look at and either go, that value is off, or a dude that's like, I'm not taking him pretty much no matter what you say. And while you guys are looking that up, I'll just throw a couple names out there of dudes that I'm sort of looking at and going, man, oh, man, I don't know what to think. Ob the obvious one is Freddie Freeman at 17. You know, obviously, he's going through uh, some issues of trying to get healthy from COVID. Whether he comes back or not is sort of up in the air. So that's sort of something that's automatically a bit of a, I'm not too sure about that. One dude that I don't understand, he's in the top 40. I don't like Jordan Al Alvarez at 40 right now. He's definitely in a line for a, a regression. He is such an amazing rookie season. He's already on the IL right now, not necessarily with the team, and also had a very high bat pip that last season. But, guys, the Luis Castillo at number 38, I still cannot wrap my head around it. He has amazing stuff, but at the same time, you're banking a lot on those Cincinnati Reds coming together. You're banking a lot on him becoming that ace. You're banking a lot on him putting 10 to 12 strong starts together. You're banking on him coming out of the gate right away and looking awesome. I just don't know if I really like that value. There's a lot of other interesting options, veterans, dudes that have done it before, even at the starting pitching position, that I would probably bank on. I mean, Aaron Nola is a great choice right there, just below him. Zach Granke, Charlie Morton, Giolito's at 52, Chris Paddock at 53, Luis Castillo at 38, too rich for my blood. Um, we're going to go to Matt first. Who's the like, most overrated player in that top 40 area for you? Uh, first of all, couldn't agree with you more on Castillo. I mean, I don't understand how Granky and Snell and Nola, like these guys have all, if not won a Cy Young, competed for a Cy Young. And uh, yeah, that one doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, we already kind of hit on it. But I think uh, 
Fernando Tatis Jr. is my guy who's way too he's he's ranked too high but uh I'll also say Walker Bueller is a little high for me don't understand how he's right behind Justin Verlander when you look at Verlander's stats compared to his you know Verlander had 20 wins 300 strikeouts I think uh I think Bueller's like a 325 ERA like 1.2 whip like this doesn't make any sense for him to be in the same category as Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer to me that's a great point because now I'm looking at it and Strasburg's at 23. Jack Flaherty's at 24. And let's be honest, I'd probably take either of those guys over Walker Bueller. My thing with Strasburg is in the 60-game schedule, you know, the chances of him getting hurt or being limited in innings or whatever you want to call it is probably minimized at that point. He had such an amazing season last year. The dude is 58-21 and 21 over his last four seasons. I mean, Strasburg is a beast so, yeah, I'm kind of with you that that Walker Bueller at number 16 is a little rich and probably, yeah, definitely an overrated touch. Mike, what do you Yeah, got? I mean, same, sorry, same average as Verlander if you look at the total average of uh, average draft position and just doesn't, doesn't belong in the same category. Yeah, t- tough to wrap your head around even if Verlander is a year older and at some point father time is going to come for him. Uh, Joy, what do you think? Yeah, I think Castillo is just is definitely the case in a in a head-to-head league where like just starting pitchers are for good or bad just overvalued, and that kind of has bumped his ADP up. A hundred percent agree with Fernando Tatis. I think that's just kind of like that wow factor of that guy just being this top prospect who did show promise, but again, it's like you know it was one year, not even a full year, right? That he did that. Uh, the guy for me who I've I've been cursed with having him on my team in a couple of different seasons past, but. Starling Marte, the fantasy <laughs> baseball world loves Starling Marte. Now he he has solid years. I mean he has solid years, but when you look at his numbers, he has all the tools. Like, the scouts yeah, you, are drooling over him. You know he you know he does give you that little bit of bump in stolen bases, but I mean, is there a less sexy top you know thirty player? I mean at least with Fernando Tatis, you're like wow that guy man. Like if he you know he could have that game where. Joey, you mentioned earlier where he could give me 15 points in a game. Like Starling Marte every year just is like that blah guy where you're like, well, I guess I'll draft him because he's still available and he's rated pretty high. But yeah, so yeah, yeah. Starling Marte for like the last five years is a guy I'm like, I don't know why fantasy prognosticators love this guy. Yeah, and funny enough, like just because he's in Arizona now, he's at number 28, 29. I mean, I We've been doing fantasy baseball for a while, and he's never had that high of a ranking before. I mean, he does, you know, he is like a top outfielder type choice. I understand all that, but I just don't really understand where exactly the breakthrough is going to come from. Maybe just because he got new paper. Yeah, they've got him number ninth overall over in outfielders over a Charlie Blackman, over the Kettle Marte over a George Springer, over an Aaron Judge. I mean, all these guys I would probably consider to take over Starlin Marte. Um, Yeah, I'm right with you there. That uh, that might be a bit of a reach, and hopefully something if you take him in that particular area that you don't regret uh, during this fantasy season. We're going to close out on this, guys. We've talked about a bunch of White Sox and Cubs players already. You're allowed to bring them up again if you want to, but I do want to hear what is your favorite value for let's just start with the White Sox right now. Who are the guys that even if it's not value, the guy that you're like, you know what, I'm getting this dude on my team. 
I'm having him on my squad no matter what. We talked a little bit about Grundahl and Anderson. Is there another guy that jumps out to you? Uh, we'll start with Matt. Uh, yeah, like I said, I got him on my team. Uh, it's Colin A. I think uh, the White Sox are going to have a better record than they did last year. Probably play some pretty close games, uh, unless they blow everybody out, which would be fun to watch. But uh, uh, no, I think I think Colin A is the guy that I would start getting most for my drafts in terms of Cubs-White Sox. Uh, Troy, who, who's the guy in the White Sox that's got you most excited right now, maybe outside of Grandal? Well, I have two. Um, you know, Jose Abreu seems always to go so much lower than what he's put up every year. I mean, 30-plus home runs in, what, five of his six seasons with the Sox at least? I mean, it's like this guy, it just I, – I don't know why people don't like him because even when you listen to or read, you know, people, people always kind of say, well, Abreu, I don't know about that guy. I don't know about that guy. But he puts up numbers every year. Um, and then the other guy that I really like, just because he's falling, because unfortunately he tested positive for COVID, is Yohan Mankata. Um, If he's able to come back healthy, and if he's, and obviously he'll probably have, kind of we talked about Tim Anderson, he'll probably have a little bit of regression as well. But I mean, if he's even comes close to the numbers he put up last year, again, because of how far he's falling because of the COVID testing, I think that's going to be some extreme value for a third baseman if you want to wait at third base. Yeah, Bray was a strange one. I mean, they got him ninth overall at first baseman. All the dude does is average, like, I think he's averaged 29.8 home runs and about 100 RBIs every single year he's been with the Sox. Hits at least 280. You know, you know the OPP isn't amazing, but, man, now all of a sudden that offense is getting a bump up, and now he's still going to be right in the heart of that offense. And he, drove an, he was an RBI leader last year. So, I mean, put all, those things, put all those things together, he definitely could be in line for – a huge season. I could easily see him outscoring in fantasy a guy like a Max Muncy who's in front of him, a Matt Olson who's in front of him too as well. Um, I do like Mankata a lot. The guy that I like a whole lot is I still I still am all about Eloy Jimenez. Um, 18th overall among outfielders. I don't think – I mean, his rookie season was a little choppy. I mean, the dude literally hurt himself playing the outfield. It wasn't nothing to do with offense. It was all about him out there. The more that he plays DH, I think the better off that he'll be. And I do like him a lot uh, in terms of value. I think the batting average can go up. I think the RBIs can go up too as well. I like that value. Hop in, Matt. Uh, I, I just want to ask you guys, what do you got? Uh, where do you think about Luis Roberts' value? So uh, here's... Going, really, going really high in drafts is the only reason I'm going to stay away, but I think he could break out. He could be pretty serious. I, I watched him mash a couple home runs on Twitter. That was pretty fun. So I'm with you. He looks incredible. What I would say about Luis Robert is just like, know your surroundings. Uh, take the temperature of the room. Like, if you're with a bunch of buddies and there are a bunch of South Side dudes, just know in your heart that you're probably not going to get him because he's probably going to get snatched up around or too early. I'm with you, Haley. The value... Yeah, Typically, when something like this happens, like Eloy last year, his value was fantastic, and we loved him as a prospect. Such an easy dude to go out there and draft. But where Luis Robert is might be just a touch. I, I don't know. It's it's a little too uh, it's a little too perfect. Or it's a little too um, rational, in my opinion. I, I was hoping that it'd be a little bit a little bit higher up there where we can maybe wait for him, snag him, feel really good, feel really smart about it. So I think it's going to be a discipline game. If you can get him at the value that you like. It's a fantastic pick. Overreaching for him, I have some hesitations. What do you think, Choi? Yeah, I mean, you know, it breaks my heart to say this because, you know, being a Sox fan, but I am not drafting anyone that has no track record, especially this year. I'm staying away from 
any guy, much less a rookie, much less a rookie where you have no idea how, uh, especially in this environment for this season, how they're going to react to uh, the conditions. Um, you know, we even talk about uh, Eloy last year, right? Like he really, the bulk of his stats came in that last third of the season. So if you were to look at it, uh, uh, you know, the first half of the season for him, he didn't really do that much. So again, I'm not waiting for a guy to get hot in 60 games. Conversely, he might be a world beater right out of the gate and be hot for 60 games and then hit the rookie wall that, you know, maybe they would hit if it were a 162 game season. But uh, yeah, I am, unfortunately, I'm, I can't go with any unknowns this year um, because of, because of the 60 games. Yeah. And we're going to hop to you, Matt, in just a second, but yeah, we got Luis Robert 28th overall among outfielders. Sandwiched in between a Nick Castellanos, Eddie Rosario, Ozuna, Benintendi, Conforto, Reese Hoskins, Michael Brantley. I mean, those are all known commodities, right? So if you're drafting in that area, I kind of sort of have a hard time jumping on a Luis Robert. Now, if he slipped down into the more of the 40 area, when you're talking dudes like David Dahl, Scott Kingery, Kyle Schwarber, Danny Santana, along those lines. Now I'm like, okay, cool. I would take a Luis Robert over Schwarber any day of the week, even though, you know, Schwarber's coming off a 38 home run season, but it just sort of takes that much to have me feel a little bit of skepticism about taking Robert that high. Hop in, Matt. I was just going to say, uh, according to ADP, he's right behind Rosario, and Rosario last year batted 275, had 32 home runs and 109 RBIs. Uh, so, yeah, is it realistic to expect a rookie to produce at that level? Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with Choi kind of got to stay away with rookies especially this year yeah it's tough if he falls um if he falls to you go for it we think that he's going to be amazing i think we're just saying from a fantasy value perspective you might have to have a little discipline and just uh, enough skepticism to just make sure you make the right choice at the right value um in terms of the white Sox, any are there values out there that you that you don't necessarily like um you know giolito I'm still a little bit of a wait and see. I mean, that, that stretch that he had, he did have a 12-game stretch last year where he went 9-1 and one with a 2.12 ERA with tons of Ks. I mean, guess what? If you put that number up during a 60-game season, he would be the Cy Young. But at the same time, he had a couple starts where he was able to struggle. I don't feel that confident that he is the de facto true, tried-and-true ace from a fantasy perspective. So his value is at a place that I think is reasonable but at a place that I probably wouldn't hop in on so in that case I'm probably going a little overrated on him and you know a guy like Dallas Keuchel or a guy like our boy uh Encarnitas Encarnacion um is another guy that can miss a week or two with a bad tight back or an oblique and all of a sudden he can't help your fantasy team and that might be a guy that I would stay away from even though I like him in, in real life for baseball Choi any guys on the White Sox that the value you don't like or you think is a little overrated no, I, I think we nailed it. I mean, Luis Roberts, I think, you know, in, this year is probably a little overrated just because of the hype surrounding him. Um, but otherwise, everybody else, I mean, yeah, Giolito's going right about where you would expect him to go. But if anything, I think the majority of the Sox are undervalued in terms of their ADP. So I think actually, you know, again, this might be some biases being, you know, a, a Chicago sports fan. But if anything, you can find some great values in the later rounds if you kind of target Sox. So, yeah, uh, Roberts... Robert is the only one that I would say is, you know, overvalued, but everyone else is right where they should be. If not, you know, probably uh, adds that value to getting them even later than what I think they should go. 
Yeah, uh, Haley, any overrated guys in the White Sox that you don't like? Obviously, you know, Adam Engel's already on your team. He's the centerpiece of your squad. <laughs> uh, but is there somebody else maybe that's that's making you feel a little, a little skittish? Uh, no, yeah, I think I agree with you with Giolito. Uh, he, 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 like you said, he, he put up some great numbers at times. Uh, I just try to lean towards the more tried and true guys where you they have a proven track record. Uh, but I have a question because according to ADP, it's Giolito and then Darvish is the next starting pitcher, like 10 picks later. Uh, who do you like between those two? Uh, I like Darvish. I like Darvish in that scenario, the, the makeup, the stuff, the no fans thing, I actually think is a real deal thing that's going to help him this season. And everyone's, you know, we've ran the numbers a hundred times, but you know, in that second half of the season, 2.76 ERA, tons of K's. Um, you know, tons of K's, no walks. I think he only walked like seven guys in his final 98 innings. That definitely does help you in a fantasy perspective and maybe helps out the scenario where he only went four and four during that span, had a hard time picking up wins last year. But if, if you're telling me if you want to put two guys together and who I think is going to put up a better fantasy box score on a start-by-start basis, I'm probably going Darvish. What do you think, Choi? It's, it's it's so they really are back to back in the ADP rankings. Yeah. Uh, no, no. In terms of starting pitchers. Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. Paddock's in between them. But yeah, Giolito's but really close, right? And uh, Darvish is sixty. Because I I think yeah I think they are as comparable of two pitchers as you can get. You know, two guys who are high K rate guys. Um, you know, kind of. Uh, I would only have to. I, I'm well outside of being uh, showing my socks allegiances, I'm going to go with Giolito because here's a guy who is ascending, right? Who um, is only going to get better. Whereas, you know, I, unfortunately, in my opinion, I think uh, Darvish, I, I still think he's a top tier pitcher, but I can't, you know, you can't argue the fact that he's probably on the downswing of his career or at least a year from being on the downswing of his career. So I'm going to go with the ascending pitcher every time. And in that case, I'm going to go with Giolito. Yeah, let's talk some Cubs values. Um, let's talk about – let's start first with the people that we really like in terms of per value for guys on the team. Uh, I'm going to throw one out there first. I literally draft this dude every single season because his value is so incredible. Kyle Hendricks. Um, you know, great. Not great strikeouts. Awesome. You know, but guess what? Low walks, typically low hits, gives you innings and picks up wins. Now – you know, he's not going to be the dude at the forefront of your starting rotation, but when you're trying to like sort of, you know, solidify the base a little bit of what you're trying to do on a week to week basis, Kyle Hendricks is always there. His value is never, never very high. He's like very, he's always like underrepresented in terms of value. And I really like Kyle Hendricks uh, again this season, getting the opening day start. They got him number 40 overall, right next to dudes like Mike Miner, Robbie Ray, Matthew Boyd, Kenta Maeda, Sean Manaya. Lance McCullers, all talented pitchers, but none of them have done it consistently the past several seasons the way Hendricks does. I think Kyle Hendricks is perhaps the best value on the Cubs right now. Hop in, Mike. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Hendricks, although it was funny watching that game last night. Like, it was literally the kicker curse because as soon as all, like, Sutcliffe and Chipper Jones and the guys were, like, praising Kyle Hendricks, he just got rocked. It was, like, literally the kicker's curse last night in the game. Um, the guy that I think is an absolute steal, even more so than Hendricks, is Schwarber. I mean, his ADP is 140, so that means you can get a starting outfielder 
at like round 12 or later, a guy who, you know, last year, obviously he put huge home run numbers up in 38, but your prior was 26 and the year before that was 30. So, you know, this guy's going to hit homers. Um, and I think the universal DH is only going to help a guy like Kyle Schwarber, who, you know, depending on uh, may, may or may not have been a platoon situation out in left field. And then also might've been removed for defensive purposes, but in this case where they can shift him to DH or just have him play DH outright, I only think helps Kyle Schwarber's value. So yeah, if you can get Schwarber in like the hundreds, have a 30 plus, at least in a regular season, a format of 30 plus home run guy starting for you, like with one of your last or late round picks, I think that's incredible value. Haley, who's your favorite value pick on the Cubs heading into the season? Troy uh, stole the words out of my mouth. I was going <laughs> to say Kyle Schwarber. Uh, we talked about it earlier, how we don't put much uh, uh, stock in ESPN in terms of researching for fantasy purposes, but uh, ESPN has him ranked 75th, the 75th overall player. And if he's dropping to 140 in your draft, you you should swoop him every time. Yeah, gobble gobble that right up. The thing that I liked about Schwarber a lot, just now this was a spring training game. Doesn't mean a ton, but guess what? These dudes are just days away from the season starting. So I was trying to take a little bit of stock into it. My favorite part about watching Schwarber last night was he didn't do jack shit in the game. He struck out three times in a row, but in that fourth at bat, he hit an absolute screamer line drive to right field. Now Schwarber from the years past would have those days when he looked completely lost at the plate and would just, you know, swing and miss nine times in a row, strike out three times and call it a day and just try and maybe pick it up the next day. What I liked about it was just that small little thing of him hitting the ball and the screws just one time on a day when he wasn't hitting the ball very well. And man, that second half of the season, Schwarber really showed up. I mean, he slugged over 600 in the second half. Ended up with 38 home runs and 92 RBIs. Ended up getting that batting average over 250. I think that 250 is a great baseline for his batting average. And I definitely think in terms of outfielders too, because it's a, a position that sometimes you kind of forget about as the draft goes along. And then you go, oh, shit, I got to get another outfielder or two. If Kyle Schwarber's sitting there, I like that value a whole lot. Choi, uh, Chicago Cubs value on a player that maybe you don't like, someone that's maybe a little overvalued. You know – I have to go Anthony Rizzo only because he's that guy like every year when you look at his end of season totals, he puts up solid, solid numbers. Maybe not elite numbers for what you'd want from your first baseman, but you can't complain that a guy who has 25 plus homers gets 100 RBIs every year. But for some reason, and especially this year, he always is a guy that to me starts off cold. Um, and probably a lot of that has to do with the fact that playing in Chicago, you're playing a lot in cold weather. So we'll see if he's a guy, you know, that's, uh, that starts off cold because of the weather or just because he needs time to get going. Obviously, um, he is a, is it a back or oblique issues right now? I forget what So it's actually, it typically it's a back, but it says he's got rib cage inflammation, yeah. which is leading yeah. to the back issues. So I guess it's not a normal, it's not the normal annual back injury that Rizzo would go through. Yeah. So, I mean, at 58, I mean, it's it's a, it's a little high. And again, you know, he's only 30 years old, so he's probably got a couple, you know, two to three years left of being, you know, really prime in the prime of his career. But there's just, he, he's, he's the Starling Marte of Chicago baseball to me. Like just a guy who just doesn't, you know, he gets the job done, I guess, when you look at his numbers, but just doesn't seem like a sexy pick ever. Well, and we just had this conversation about Jose Abreu, right? And with first base, 
it's this weird position of fantasy where you really want to be proud of who you have in that slot all set up. And if you're in a situation where you're, if you're even waffling over whether Anthony Rizzo is the guy that should be on your team at that value or not, you should just wait. Just wait and take Jose Abreu and mm-hmm. fill in other spots in your lineup and then create that kind of makeup on your roster. And again, you know, a guy who's struggling to get on the field to start the season, I will say he looks great. He's in great shape. He's definitely a skinny-looking dude. I don't know what the, how, that, how that's going to play out in the actual season, but um, I think that's a very fair assessment. Um, Mike, hop back in. Well, you know, I think I just nailed it. He's a guy, you know, a lot of times you hear these in, for fantasy football, got a great high floor, but his ceiling is so low. So it's like, you know, a guy with Rizzo, you can count on his floor, 20, you know, 25-plus home runs, you know, 90-plus RBIs, but you're never – I mean, and again, maybe he does it in the future, but he's not a guy that you're like, okay, he's going to get me 50 home runs this year. He's going to hit me, you know, 130 plus RBIs. You know, he's going to hit 330 if he has if he puts it all together. He's not that kind of player. Uh, Haley, uh, a player on the Cubs, you think might be a little uh, a little too rich for your blood on on this ADP right now? I was like, man, Troy and I are, are right in line. Kismet. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say uh, Rizzo, and I couldn't agree with your your point about Abreu. You know, Abreu's average draft position is a round and a half later. Uh, Abreu hit 33 home runs. Rizzo had 27. Abreu 123 RBIs. Rizzo 94. Rizzo, Rizzo got hit like 150 <laughs> times. But that's yeah, Rizzo Rizzo that. scored a couple more runs. Has a slightly better batting average, but. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm taking a Brayu over Rizzo every time. And, yeah, just the injury concern, again, if you miss a week or two uh, due to that inflammation of his ribs or whatever it is, uh, that could sink your whole season. Yeah, and, you know, I'm just going to try and go a little out of the box here for my overvalued. And it seems like he's properly valued, but even then I'm probably not going to touch him. Craig Kimbrell, uh, 16th overall among relief pitchers. So, technically – you know, if everyone in your league takes at least one closer, he's still probably hitting the waiver wire. I just think he's a dude that you just cannot trust. Great. If you take him in the last round of your fantasy draft, good for you. Hopefully it works out. But he could definitely be in a position to be a guy that's on that waiver wire the very next week. Um, I think that's kind of where he belongs to start, to start the season. As a dude on the waiver wire, prove it a little bit. Show that you can go two, three outings. And, you know, maybe strike out a couple of hitters, pick up a couple of saves before you really bite on him. Uh, the name definitely precedes with the fantasy value that he can put on your team right now. So he's probably my overvalue and probably my biggest stay away on the Cubs right now heading into their season. Um, well, go, go for it, Matt. Uh, can this be true? I think I'm reading it. Was Kimbrell's ERA last year 6'5"? <laughs> that's correct um yes. sounds about right unfortunately yeah, yeah yeah it was the same yeah it was the same height as uh as the same height as ron mercer or vince vaughn or uh, no, uh, I, I yeah, thought i must no. have been reading something wrong yeah i don't i don't understand why what makes him the 16th best closer in baseball yeah and the, and the funny part is they uh they do all the projection models like so you'll see like what they did last year and then someone will give you a projection of what they'll do this year and he's still like you know, a draftable fantasy asset, but they've got him projected to have an ERA of 5.4 just because, you know, it's like, he'll get a little <laughs> bit better. Like, holy shit, man. Like, out of control. Yeah, his ERA was was nuts. Um, his ERA in extra innings was over 27 last year. 27 God. points. Move forward with the rest. Um, 
And, you know, I was, I've been joking about this, like, you know, we're going to have extra innings where the, where the player starts at second base. And Craig Kimball might be setting records for, like, the quickest blown save of all time in extra innings with the dude at second base. I mean, it's – I'm hopeful that he can at least come out there and maybe get some confidence and start nailing down some saves. I just don't think he is anything close to lockdown. And from a fantasy perspective, it's just not worth a risk and a gamble. I mean, that's the kind of guy that you take and you're like, all right, after a couple months, he's going to be worth something on my team. We don't have a couple months in the 60-game schedule format. It's, you know, it's get it and go now. I'm, he's a stay away from me for sure. I think that's going to do it, you guys. I think we covered a lot of great ground. I'm excited to do my draft. Thank you so much for helping me, giving me some tips, a little primer tips. But you guys, this was our uh, fantasy baseball preview for the 60-game schedule. It's going to start on Thursday. We've got two games on Thursday. The rest are going to start on Friday. So make sure you get into those draft rooms and draft your teams, get all your good stuff going. My guests today, Matt Haley and Mike Choi, thank you so much for coming on, bringing some great info, bringing the great knowledge. And um, that's going to do it for the, today's pod. we got plenty more podcasts coming up. This is baseball week here on Believe in Betting Chicago. So that's what we're going to be talking about all week long. So make sure you tune in for the next episode. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. Be good, be kind, be safe. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.